You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, kitties, and welcome to my world. I would come over and say hello to you, but it's just as easy for you to come to me. Yes, yes, come in. You've come to the right place. This is where you'll learn everything there is to know about your furry feline friends. I'm talking about cats. Yes, I know. We are positively perfect pets. What do you mean I have attitude? Why, of course I do. I'm a cat. It's called Catitude. As I was saying, this show is all about cats. Cats and... Oh, yes, uh, cats. So let me introduce you to my accomplice, I mean assistant and host of Catitude, Tom Doc. Okay, Tom, tell them how wonderful we cats are. It's okay, you have my permission. Hello again, and welcome back to Pet Life Radio. This, of course, is the Catitude Channel, your place for everything feline, everything that you want to know about your cats. And I am your host, Tom Duck, and I am very glad to be back here. And let's just get one thing out of the way very quickly before we jump into our show today. I have received your emails, I have heard from everybody, and I do apologize that there has been this extended absence on my part. As I tell a lot of people that I interact with on a daily basis, you know, sometimes life just gets in the way. And uh, when you've got several different uh, careers going on and several different hats that you wear, sometimes things get pushed to the back. And I do apologize for that because we have pushed Pet Life Radio to the back. And uh, special apologies out to Mark and Adam because, you know, they do such a great job of keeping all of us going here at Pet Life Radio, all, all the different uh, pet experts, people that you can count on to learn about your pets. So um, we've got a lot going on, of course, at the Veterinary News Network, at PetDocsOnCall.com, and, of course, the American Society of Veterinary Journalists. We'll tell you more about those things in upcoming shows. But today, we're going to kind of change gears just a little bit. You know, we've always spent so much time talking about the different breeds of cats and what's going on. And then, of course, I always try to give a little tidbit of information about how we can keep our cats and, and our other pets, let's not exclude our dog friends, how we can keep them healthy and safe. Today I'd like to spend a little time just basically talking about cats that are in the news, doing that, and then I know it's going to be kind of scary, but after we take our midway break there, um, I'd like to actually talk a little bit about declawing cats. We're not going to get into the right or the wrong of it. What I want to do is give you an objective overview of everything. I have had cats that have been declawed. I have participated in surgeries that have declawed cats. I have seen cats that have had some terrible problems from their declaws. And of course, I have cats now that are not declawed. So I believe I can provide you with a very objective, very unbiased type of overview of the procedure so that you can learn a little bit. And I think that's the most important thing is that we need to learn from each other and not get settled into our personal opinions and refuse to look at the other facts. So we're going to talk about a few different things today. Um, you know, we've got some therapy cats, some cats who have uh, become bionic. Believe it or not, that's in the news. Another thing that's happened recently is, of course, July 15th. And again, I don't know when you're going to be listening to that, but that just happened recently. July 15th is National Save Your Pets from Fires Day, or actually uh, Pet Fire Safety Day put on by the American Kennel Club and by ADT Securities as well as the National Volunteer Fire Council. And I want to talk a little bit about how our cats 
can actually cause house fires. I think you'll hear some very amusing anecdotes there. And there's another controversial thing going on in the news about whether or not puppies and kittens should actually be sold in pet stores. And so we'll give a little bit of detail on the news stories and what's happening on that front. But always, before we jump into our show, we need to hear from our sponsors. And of course, you know, take a look at these folks' websites and uh, definitely visit them if you can because they are helping bring us to you. And uh, of course, that's a wonderful thing because all the stuff here at Pet Life Radio is, of course, absolutely no charge to you. And uh, we want you to visit our sponsors. So we will be right back here at Pet Life Radio, the Catitude Channel, after these messages. Do I hear a can being opened? I believe I smell tuna. Catitude will return after these messages. That should give me enough time to investigate what's going on in the kitchen. Don't have a hissy fit. We'll be right back. Tired of wasting money on giant boxes of litter that don't work and don't last? Switch to World's Best Cat Litter, the only litter with concentrated power. So even a small bag lasts one cat 30 days. Outstanding odor control, quick clumping, lightweight. It's even flushable. World's best cat litter. Everything else is just litter. Find it near you at www.itsnotjustlitter.com. That's www.itsnotjustlitter.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. How dare they open a can of tuna and make a sandwich out of it? I can see why some of my celebrity pals prefer lasagna. Well, anyway, I did manage to grab myself the canary while I was in there. Quiet, bird. We're going to hear the rest of my show, Catitude. If you behave, I may not eat you. Until later. Hmm. Okay, Tom, you may continue. And we are back at the Catitude Channel, and this is Tom. I tell you, I've actually kind of missed this. I've, I've missed the the give and the take. Of course, I'm just talking to myself, so maybe that makes me a little crazy, but I have missed educating people, and I'm going to definitely have to make sure that I rearrange my week so that we make sure that we keep you guys informed with all things going on as it pertains to your felines. Well, let's talk about a couple very interesting cats that have made the news over these last several weeks. And one that really caught my eye was a British cat, three-year-old British cat, and his name is Oscar. Oscar had a terrible, terrible accident where he actually lost about the lower third of both of his hind legs. He was near a combine harvester. He was out on a farm and somehow got connected and, and caught up in his combine harvester. And... It chopped off the lower thirds of his legs. Basically, his back two feet are gone. And so Oscar and, of course, his owner and a lot of veterinary surgeons over there, uh, it was actually across the pond over there in England, got together and they were able, first of all, to save his life. And then what they've done is they've actually implanted some titanium implants. And these implants, what they do is they allow the owner to attach prosthetic feet and if you follow the veterinary news network we've talked about prosthetics before and how they can help pets um, but one of the issues that has continued to uh, to plague veterinarians and, and veterinary scientists and surgeons is that when they put these titanium implants into the bone a lot of time the skin does not want to graft well to the metal 
and so you get a lot of infections you get sloughing of the skin the implants get loose and it just never works out real well and they've really had trouble with that but and if you watch this video it's absolutely amazing you can find it at wired.com oscar actually his skin grew around the implant and it's holding very well in place no signs of infection so now this little kitty can trot around just like he has all four feet and it's absolutely really amazing in fact right after surgery if you watch the video he's trying to jump up onto boxes which of course is not a good thing for oscar and of course they're watching very closely this has just happened recently it was uh, back at the end of june june 2010 when this story first came out so by the end of this year we should know how oscar's doing and hopefully as we roll into 2011 we'll have some very good news to report that this has worked very well not only did oscar get uh, use up one of his lives to uh, further the cause of uh, saving animals, but maybe it can help a lot of other animals out there too. So that was Oscar and that was over in England. And then of course we had another wonderful kitty that again had a problem with its back end. And this is Scooter. Scooter's actually here in the United States and Scooter is a paralyzed cat. Scooter had some sort of problem when he was a kitten and the person who brought Scooter into the veterinarian actually thought that her husky dog attacked the little kitten and, and broke his back. And when the veterinarian got to looking at the kitten, she said, no, there's no you know puncture wounds, there's no bite wounds or anything like this. And so I don't think your dog attacked it. I think your dog was bringing it home for you to help. And as they looked at this kitten, you know, most people are going to say, gosh, we ought to euthanize it. Wouldn't that be the humane thing to do? But according to uh, the veterinarian, and uh, this was over in, let's see, see if I can find, it must be Hearts Run Veterinary Hospital in Fox Chapel, Pennsylvania. Uh, Dr. Kennan, who is the uh, veterinarian who started working on Scooter, said that um, he basically looked up at us with big, expressive gold eyes, and we had to try to save him. And so he pretty much charmed everybody, and clients of this veterinary clinic donated several hundred dollars and what they did was they built him a little kitty cart you know you've all seen doggy carts where the dog's back end is supported and they can roll around on the wheels of course being propelled by their front legs well scooter has this too he's got his own little kitty cart so he's got his own little kitty wheelchair and the interesting thing about Scooter is he actually is a therapy animal. He's a licensed um, therapy animal. And he goes into the Health South Harmaville Rehabilitation Hospital near Pittsburgh. And he shows people, look, look what I can do, basically. And evidently, these are people at the rehab hospital who have had problems with walking, who have had problems with strokes or some sort of injury where they, they cannot make themselves mobile and they see this cat and all of a sudden it's like wow well if he can do it well i sure can too and there's just this gorgeous picture of scooter on the postgazette.com which is pittsburgh's paper uh, postgazette.com on the website if you uh, search oh i think it's under pets you could probably see a picture of scooter there and he's just this this black and white domestic short hair and he's just trotting around with his little wheelchair there and and making life special for everyone and i guess he actually stays now with the uh, the veterinarian and the veterinary hospital and uh it's he's just really a normal cat says the veterinarian and um he's it's just a good cat he's not declawed he keeps his claws in when he's around the, the patients and um, you know therapy animals we've talked about this before they do such wonderful things and really i think bring out 
so much hope in patients, you know, that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And so this is a wonderful story of how a cat who himself was paralyzed or is paralyzed is actually showing people how they can make their lives better. Okay, so those two kind of hero cats there, we kind of like that. Well, how about some cats that are are villains? Um, You hate thinking about that. We don't want to think about our cats being villains, and they're certainly not um, purposeful villains. But there's a story out of Australia of two roommates who had several cats, and of course they let the cats out, as most Australians do, to roam during the day. And evidently one of their cats was not too happy about being left out and found his way back inside the apartment and upon getting back inside the apartment squatted over a laptop computer and decided to urinate. Well, as you can guess, liquids and electronics don't mix very well and this mixture of the computer and the cat's urine actually started a small house fire, set off the smoke alarms. Luckily, the two gentlemen who had the apartment were not too upset with their little feline arsonist and actually went in and saved him. And I don't believe much damage was done other than the water damage from putting the fire out. But it brings me to a point where we really need to think about the fact of when our pets are home alone, you know, lots of people who own dogs will cage them up when they're gone to keep them out of trouble. But we don't usually think about that with our cats. You know, our cats are pretty self-sufficient. They don't generally tend to chew on things. And so we don't normally cage them up. But if we aren't thinking and we leave a candle burning or maybe we leave the kerosene heater going or uh, some sort of space heater or something like that during the wintertime, there are lots of instances where pets have caused fires. Um, Some of them have perished in the fire. Some of them have made it out safely but the national volunteer fire safety council actually says that almost 900 fires every year here in the united states can be attributed in some way to the pets and you know whether it's a dog jumping up on the stove and igniting the um the burner that's a very very common event that happens and we hear about that in news headlines or a cat knocking over a candle or maybe uh batting around a um Venetian blind cord or maybe batting a small pillow around that hits the space heater and catches on fire and maybe then the curtains catch on fire or something like that. Um, monkeys who have undone, un, undone, undid. <laughs> monkeys who have taken the caps off of gas containers near an open flame and started a fire. And even a turtle who dug up his bedding basically and they had the heat lamp too close to his bedding and this bedding caught on fire uh luckily all of these animals that i've mentioned all of them were saved um which is a very good thing but it really goes to show that we've got to think just like we do when we have a toddler or a baby at home we've got to kind of get down on our cat's level and and take a look at how our cats are seeing the house and is there something that they can knock over is there the potential for causing a fire Um, definitely one of the biggest things make sure you put candle flames out before you go to bed before you leave the house never ever leave an open flame unattended especially if your pets are in the house and you got to think about this as well and we've talked about this just a few shows ago cats aren't going to think to run outside if they hear the smoke alarm and you know if somebody comes in hearing a smoke alarm whether it's a firefighter or the neighbor rushing in to try to help and you're not home your cat may be hiding somewhere and may not want to come out. So really, seriously, we need to start thinking about taking an opportunity 
before we leave to make sure candles are out, to make sure there's not any loose wires that can get chewed on, that the burners on the stove aren't left on, all of those kind of things that might start a fire. Also, I would really highly advise that you get one of those window clings that says, Fireman Save My Pets or Pets Inside or, you know, something that somebody knows that you've got animals in there and keep it updated. All of us who have cats, you know, it never seems like we have a constant number. We might have one, but before we know it, we have three. And so we want to keep it updated and make sure that everybody gets out safely. Okay, a little bit of a controversial subject here that's been in the news, and that is, should puppies and kittens be sold in pet stores? Let me give you a little bit of background here. There are several cities across the United States that have stopped the sale of puppies and kittens through pet stores. Uh, one is in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I thought, um, you know, that, that was kind of a very interesting one to look at because they've actually had one of the longer running uh, bans on pet stores. But when I read a little bit of information about what's going on down there, you know, they're talking about, oh, we've started adopting lots more animals and, um, you know, our, our shelter relinquishments are our way down. I think that's all wonderful and good, but you've really got to take a look at what happened. And um, what I'm looking for right now is uh, if you anybody reads Casey Dog Blog, and again, I'm sorry that I'm mentioning a dog on a cat channel, but this gentleman, his name is Brent, he writes a blog and he focuses on a lot of the not so good things that are happening when it comes to legislation of our pets. Of course, he focuses a lot on breed-specific legislation as it pertains to um, aggressive dogs and, of course, mandatory spay-neuter type things. But he does also talk about this particular controversial subject, and that is, should these animals actually be sold through pet stores, and should we ban that? And as I said back in, um, oh, several years ago, Albuquerque actually stopped doing that but the interesting thing is their shelter and a couple other rescue groups actually stepped up and started doing more and so whether it was the closing of the pet stores or the fact that the groups stepped up it's really hard to say what happened now of course we all know about west hollywood um, not only did they ban declawing of cats they've also now banned the sale of puppies and kittens in their um, city limits as well. Now it doesn't, uh, I don't know if this matters to you or not, but there were no pet stores that were actually selling puppies or kittens uh, in West Hollywood at the time this was enacted. I bring this up because San Francisco is actually looking at this ban right now. Um, they actually have a ban on, I believe, puppies, kittens, and rabbits at this point in time, and they'd like to ban all pets from being sold with the exception of potentially fish. And then El Paso, Texas is now also looking at banning the sale of puppies and kittens as well. Now the whole reason behind this, proponents who do this basically are saying we want to do this because there's too many puppy mills and you know we want people to adopt, you know, don't shop adopt is their mantra. And so if they can basically steer people in the direction of shelters and rescues and, and the you know the friendly good breeders, then we're gonna probably have a, a better situation and fewer puppy mills. And believe me, nobody, especially me, especially veterinarians, wants to see any of these uh, puppies or kittens growing up in a situation where they're not receiving socialization, where they're not receiving adequate health care, and, um, and growing up in just unsanitary conditions. It's not right. But the problem when we try to 
ban the sale of pets through pet stores is, first of all, we may have some unintended consequences with that. Um, the unintended consequences being making it much more difficult to find a pet or find the pet that you're looking for. Yes, adopt from a shelter, uh, save a pet from a pet rescue. I think that's an absolutely wonderful thing to do. But we all know that many of us like certain types of breeds. You know, if I wanted a Siamese cat, you know, I could certainly look for a Siamese rescue, but maybe, maybe I want a specific color, maybe I want a specific uh, head shape, and um, maybe that's not available at the rescue and I'm not willing to wait. Whether that makes me a bad person or not is not really the issue here, but um, the issue being what's going to happen when you don't have access, I guess basically enough access to different types of pets and different types of um, sources of those pets. You know, I think that there's been um, a big push against pet stores for a long time, and certainly some of them deserve it. But you know what? I've been reading some stories about some animal shelters that deserve it too, and we'll talk about that in another show about how some of these shelters really don't deserve the name humane, if you really get down to the nuts and bolts on it. But you know, what are the unintended consequences? You know, you're going to lose a source of potential place for people to find pets. It's going to be more difficult. I would think that actually some of the prices, um, especially if you wanted something purebred, are going to go up because then you're going to lose a little bit of competition. Breeders are going to realize that they can actually charge a little bit more because they don't have a competition from a pet store. And I'm not sure how this figures into it, but I'm sure uh, at least some people that I've talked with have said that there might even be a restraint of trade issue. So I don't know where you fall on the side of this, but um, I just think that there's a better way other than attacking the end of the supply chain and trying to stop it right there. The other thing, if you read Brent's blog, again, Casey Dog blog, and just um, look up things like puppy mills, you'll find some of these, um, these postings that he's done. Most people are not buying their pets from pet stores at this point in time. In fact, PetSmart Charities did a research and they found out that only about 8% of people actually got their pets from a pet store. Um, the vast majority either got their pet from a family member, that was 25%. They adopted it from a shelter or some sort of adoption organization, that was another 25%. Or they found it as a stray, and that our cats fall into that category. 19% um, of people who answered the survey found their pet as a stray, but of that 19%, 30% of them were stray cats. Of course, about 12% went to the breeder, 5% were um, had their own litter, and then they didn't define about 7%. And so pet stores are really only making up a small percentage of this whole grouping of pets that we have right here. So, you know, I, I just, I can't believe 100% that banning the sale of dogs and cats through pet stores is actually going to resolve the issue. My opinion. I'd love to hear from you on emails uh, what you guys have to say about something like that. And again, uh, check out Casey Dog Blog's information. He's got some really, really good stuff that you want to take a look at there. All right, I've been kind of babbling on here for a little over uh, 10 or 15 minutes now, so let's take a little bit of a break. We're going to hear from our sponsors, and when we come back, we're going to delve into that controversial topic of declawing. And so hang on, hold on. It's going to be a bumpy ride, but we'll get through it together. 
Ooh, do I hear a can being opened? I believe I smell tuna. Catitude will return after these messages. That should give me enough time to investigate what's going on in the kitchen. Don't have a hissy fit. We'll be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. How dare they open a can of tuna and make a sandwich out of it. I can see why some of my celebrity pals prefer lasagna. Well, anyway, I did manage to grab myself the canary while I was in there. Quiet, bird. We're going to hear the rest of my show, Catitude. If you behave... I may not eat you until later. Hmm. Okay, Tom, you may continue. And we are back here at the Catitude Channel. Once again, my name is Tom, and I am your host. And boy, you know, I almost hate to do this. I, I'm I'm sitting here cringing at potentially some of the emails I'm going to get. But I think it's important that if we're going to discuss issues, especially issues that pertain to the health and the safety of our cat friends that we really need to understand the entire the entire version we need to understand everything about the topic um, both the pros and the cons of what's going on and so what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to spend just a few minutes giving you an overview about decline I'm not gonna try to talk you into decline I'm not gonna try to talk you out of decline this is just an objective overview so that you can see both sides of the story. It's a very, very controversial subject. People get very impassioned about this. The blog postings I've done on this have received uh, so many comments. And of course, as the people, as you know, when they start commenting back and forth on the internet, of course, there's a lot of anonymity in the um, internet, and so you can be really mean to people. And boy, a lot of these people are, I mean, they're very mean. It's its hateful, almost. And so that's why I had a little bit of a dilemma about whether I was going to talk about this, but I think we need to. I think it's very, very important. So let's jump right into it. Um, declawing a cat. Okay, first of all, technical term, onechectomy. Onechectomy, Okay. And this is where you're actually not only removing the claw, this is not just a nail trim, okay? You're actually removing a piece of bone, actually the final last little bone at the end of their digits of their little kitty fingers, okay? So it's like you basically losing that first knuckle right there. You've got to take the bone out or the claw is going to regrow. That's just a fact right there. And I think that piece of information often gets left behind with... Um, people when they start talking about declawing because they kind of equate it to a nail trim and oh a nail trim I had my dog's nails trimmed no big deal but it's a little bit more than that 
we also need to understand why cats scratch in the first place. Well, everybody knows that they scratch because they're marking territory and it helps, you know, stretch their back and it helps also bring off the dead outer layer of the nail and keep their claws nice and pointy and all that good stuff. But they're also, not only are they marking territory, they're communicating. Uh, there's scent glands on the feet and so when they're doing that little motion and they're, and they're scratching down the tree, that's telling other cats, hey, this is my area, you might want to watch where you're stepping type of thing. Of course, we know that cats are very effective at using their claws in defense. Um, any of you who have had cats with claws know this. Um, my young son wears his uh, cat scratches like a badge of honor some days. <laughs> and um, also, we can see cats that use them aggressively um, in cat fights. And of course, some people will talk about cats need their claws for catching prey. I don't 100% agree with that. They're much, certainly better at catching their prey with claws, but they definitely don't need their claws to catch prey. And, and there's many cats that have uh, caught uh, numerous bugs, numerous uh, mice, birds, things like that without the use of claws at all. So that's why they scratch. So what can we do to keep them from scratching? And I think this is where the education really starts breaking down uh, between the veterinarian and the cat owner, maybe the breeder, and the information that's out on the internet is many, many people don't know that there's other options out there. They do not know or understand that you don't have to have a declaw done. A declaw is not necessarily normal. In fact, opponents of declawing, that's one of the things that they're going to jump on. They're going to say it's unnatural, it causes medical problems, it causes behavior problems, and it needs to be banned. And that's some of the things that have, uh, the pleas that have gone out in the eight different cities in California that have now banned declawing in the different countries across Europe and Australia and New Zealand that don't allow declawing. But there's a little bit more to the story than that. Let's talk a little bit about um, what can we do to stop cats from scratching or how do we control their scratching. Well, one of the very, very first things that you need to do is get your cat used to having a nail trim done. Okay, And, and I feel bad because poor Vulcan, I mean, his nails are long, 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 but he is such a bear to try to control and nail trim them. Luckily, I've got a good groomer, thanks Aunt Nikki, for your help with your, your little nephew Vulcan. But... Um, you know, I think that if you get started with that, it takes a, light, a lot of the urge of the cat to actually um, to scratch. And then, of course, it's also taking away a lot of the damage that they can do as well. But training is another thing that many people don't think about. Oh my gosh, it's a cat. You can't train him. Well, we all know because we have cats. Cats are very trainable you, and you can certainly train them. They just have a different motivation than dogs. Dogs are motivated to please us. Dogs are very food motivated. Not so much with cats. With the cats, what you got to think about is, you know, what are they scratching on? Are they scratching on something that has, you know, an upholstery that has a vertical pattern like the bark of a tree? Well, if they're doing that and that's on your couch or that's your curtains, that's going to cause a problem and you're not going to be very happy about it. But if you could change that so that you had a different type of upholstery on your couch or you could put a vertical pattern on a scratching post, 
a lot of times that will work as well too. Again, taking the cat over, kind of showing him what to do. Use a little catnip sprinkled on the scratching post. Have several scratching posts, not just one. Okay, um, you know I don't know why people think that if they just put one in the corner, that's the corner the cat's going to go to. Use the cat condos and the cat climbing trees. Those are all wonderful for the cats to scratch on. Believe it or not, one of the best things that I found for Vulcan, here's my 21 pound cat, 22 pound cat, this big monster of a cat. He loves the corrugated cardboard little toys that you can buy at any pet store. I think they cost like $5. They're cheap. They tear up terribly. I'm always vacuuming after he uses this, but he loves it. And it has stopped him from scratching the carpet or trying to tear up the carpet on the stairs. And for that, I'm very thankful. I don't know if I've said this before, but I had many cats declawed up until about 10, 12 years ago. And then I decided I wasn't going to do it anymore unless it was a a necessity. Um, And again, it's not me saying it's right or it's wrong. It's just that was the decision that I made. Okay. Getting back to the training thing, some people will advocate using a squirt bottle uh, with water or maybe a little bit of vinegar and water. Yeah, that can work. That can be very helpful, but you've got to keep in mind your cat can't see you doing it. If your cat sees you with a squirt bottle, then he's just going to scratch when you're not there. So use that one uh, a little carefully. Other things that that can happen, um, obviously we want to praise the cat whenever they do use the things that they're supposed to be scratching on because they do like praise. You can use things like soft paws. Soft paws are little acrylic nail caps and they're glued in place over the nails. They need to be replaced every few months. Um, So either you've got to go buy them from the veterinarian and do it yourself or you have the veterinarian apply it. So there's going to be a cost involved there, but it does stop them from damaging people and damaging the furniture. Do they work? Well, in my experience, yeah, but they need to be replaced a lot. And um, most people gave up on them afterwards and I actually heard of a few people who said you know my cat just took him off chewed him off he didn't like him on so that may or may not work so now we're starting to get into okay these things have worked or these things haven't worked what other options is there something other than you know amputating this claw that I can do well yes there is there is a tendinectomy tendinectomies are surgical procedures that actually cut the tendon that extends the claw uh, from the cat's foot now The benefit of that, at least from the standpoint of somebody who's opposed to declawing, is you keep the foot's architecture in place. One of the other opposing viewpoints is uh, against declawing is that when you remove that bone and that claw, uh, cats walk on their toes. They're digitigrade, it means they walk on their toes, and it changes the architecture of the foot, so the cat's more likely to get arthritis, the cat's off balance, they can't move as well, and all these different things. Surgeons that I've talked with, no, they don't really say that it's that that it affects them. Does it change the architecture of the foot? Absolutely. Does it cause arthritis? Does it cause the cat not to walk normally? No, no. In fact, most cats who have been declawed walk perfectly fine. So this tendonectomy actually cuts that tendon. The cat gets to keep the claw. You've got to still keep trimming the claw, but they can't extend it so that they can scratch someone. So that could be uh, potential. Studies that have been done um, through the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association compared declawed cats with cats who have had tendonectomies. Surgical complications are about the same. Um, Pain thresholds seem to be about the same, and uh, recovery seems to be about the same too. So there's no real benefit to one surgery over the other, other than the fact that this tendonectomy, um, it's a little less common, uh, but it does allow the cat to keep its claws. So what if you're faced with decline? 
you're going to have people that are going to come after you and they're going to say, I can't believe you did that. It's very unnatural. You're causing a lot of pain for your cat. You're going to, your cat's going to start biting you. Your cat's going to not use the litter box anymore. Well, let's put that one to rest right now. We're going to put this one to bed. There to date, so far, with several studies, and several of these are fairly large studies, there have been no documented significant behavioral changes in cats after they've been declawed. Will an individual cat sometimes start biting after a declaw? Absolutely, but that cat may have bitten in the first place anyway just due to different changes as the cat aged. We don't know if the declaw was the reason or not. It was it a cause and effect. But to date, all this information that I read, and I can give you a website, um, it's the World Veterinary Veterinary Small Animal Association, I believe, has a whole listing, and I'll try to find it and put it up here later, a whole listing of different studies that were done and gives you kind of an abstract or a, a summary of each of them. But no study to date says that cats exhibit behavior changes after a declaw, any more so than a cat who hasn't been declawed. And one survey that looked at, I think, about 1,400 cat owners, about 70% of those cat owners actually said that they had a better relationship with their cat after the cat was declawed. So, I don't know. You know, uh, that's one of the things that people keep bringing up. And, you know, oh, your cat's going to not use the litter box anymore. Well, you know what? If I've been declawed and you throw me in a litter box without soft litter and you're still using that clay litter, yeah, there's a possibility that I'm going to avoid that litter box for a while. But again, the studies are showing that these are very, very small, not statistically significant numbers of cats that this happens to. The tangent to all of this is that some opponents of declawing actually will say that because the cat is not using the litter box now and because the cat has become aggressive that it's more likely that these cats end up in shelters and that is not the case either um, i've talked with many shelter veterinarians i've worked in shelters before and declawed cats are actually a rarity in shelters so um, and there's again studies where they've gone and they've looked at it and shelter cats are not necessarily um, relinquished any more frequently than cats who are still intact, still have all of their claws. Now, one large study that looked at uh, the cats who were relinquished to shelters, if you just looked at the fact of whether the cat was declawed or not, then declawing was not a significant reason for relinquishment. In other words, there weren't more declawed cats than, than clawed cats in the uh, shelters. But if you started looking at the data and and adjusting for you know socioeconomic status and age of the cat and all these different things so what's called a multivariate analysis then declawing the cat did tend to increase this, the likelihood that it was going to be relinquished to a shelter so i don't know that we can significantly say one way or the other that Declawing a cat's going to make him go to the shelter or not declawing the cat's going to make him go to the shelter. And see, and that's one thing that proponents of declawing say, is that if I don't declaw the cat, the owner's going to give him up to the shelter. You know, I don't know that that's necessarily true either. It may be that the owner's going to give the cat up either way. We just don't know. So at this point in time, that's I don't think that's an argument that either side can use. Pain is a little bit different. We, we know the surgery is going to cause pain. Any surgery causes pain. 
but we are so far ahead of where we were 20, even you know, 15 years ago as far as analgesic pain relief for our cats during the surgery. A lot of veterinarians now will actually apply a fentanyl patch. This is a very strong narcotic to the cat before the surgery so that they have this on board. Now, I've got the experience where I've watched cats waking up from a declaw surgery without the benefit of pain relief, and it's not fun. You see this, and, and they're very wigged out about the fact. It's, it's very painful, as I'm sure it would be. But now we understand so much more about this that we can provide them with preoperative pain relief during surgery and, of course, pain relief after surgery. The last cat that I had declawed, his name was Jazzy, Jazzy Blue. Jazzy woke up literally ready to play. And that's the comments that we get from, from people all the time after surgery now with declaws. I can't believe that they're doing so well and they're ready to play. So, again, now that we know more about the, the way that we can control the pain, I don't know that that's really a, a true obstacle to say, oh, don't declaw the cat. How about losing defenses, okay? Yeah, you're going to lose some of your defenses, a significant portion of your defenses when you're declawed. But don't consider them completely defenseless at all. I've seen, I can think of two of my cats. Jazzy was one of them and Sierra was another one. I've seen them climb trees. Do they climb as well as a cat with claws? Well, no. But I've seen them climb trees. Actually, Jazzy climbed a telephone pole to get up on top of an outbuilding in the farm that I had. Um, and he was sitting on top of this eight-foot-tall outbuilding, which just amazed me um, that he he was doing that. They can still catch prey. They're not as good at it, but they can still catch prey, too. So, you know, are they completely defenseless? No, not at all. But if you're going to declaw a cat, it's probably best to keep them inside for their own safety because they have lost a significant portion of their defenses. Here's the whole thing that I want to, this all boils down to. I can talk both sides of the story all that you want, you know, pro or con as far as decline goes. The issue that I have and that a lot of people have is this is a decision that needs to be made between you and your veterinarian, not the government. I do not believe that we should legislate this. Um, I believe that the cities in California were wrong for doing that because this is a medical procedure and they should not be involved with with that type of thing. There may be extenuating circumstances. It may be an elderly owner who doesn't feel that she's got the time, the energy, or the ability to train the cat properly. And the anti-declawing people will say, well, she doesn't need a cat. I don't believe that's a fair assessment either. Maybe she doesn't have time to wait for a declawed cat that comes through a shelter. Okay, She might have very frail skin. She might have some immune suppression going on in which having a cat with claws would not be good. What about a family that has toddlers like me? Okay, Again, very, very busy. Training a cat may not take top priority, but you know what? My son loves his cat, and I would not want to see him be without that cat. Now, luckily, we've not had any issues with scratching or anything kind of severe injury, but not everybody's that lucky. Okay. Laser declaws are available. That helps with the pain and the uh, the control of um, the degree of surgery, so you don't have as much swelling, uh, you don't have as much bleeding, so that's a good thing, and it can help some of these cats who are older. I personally wouldn't declaw an older cat. Um, I would want it done when they were younger, but then, you know, the question is, did you have enough time to start doing the training? I don't know. Bottom line for me, if declawing keeps the cat in a good, loving home versus the cat having to live outdoors with less attention, less affection, and the potential 
for more danger. Then I think declawing done appropriately with appropriate pain relief at your veterinarian can be done. I don't see an issue with that. But again, if you've got the choice and you've got the ability to do other options and you should always try those first. You should always try training, the nail trimming yourself. Those kind of things should be done first before you actually just go out and say, I'm going to have him declawed. You know, we could all live in harmony. We really could. (laughs) All right. That was a little long-winded, hopefully objective, hopefully unbiased look at declawing cats. Um, I would love to hear your opinions on it. Please try to be civil when you send me your opinion, but um, you can email me at tom at petliferadio.com. That's tom at petliferadio.com. Don't forget to check out all the other folks that we've got here, especially like my friends, Dr. Bernadine Cruz and Dr. Diane Levitan, who are over at the Pet Doctor channel. You will love both of them. They bring in some really interesting guests, some great interviews, and I think that you should spend a little time listening to them as well. As always, I'd love to hear from you. Give me an email. Let me know what you want to hear, and we'll start talking about some of these other issues, some of the um, oddballs, breeds of cats that are coming up, the hybrid breeds, um, and of course, anything feline that comes up in the news. Hope you all have a great day. Give those kitties love and hugs and, and take care of them, and We'll talk with you next time on the Catitude Channel on Pet Life Radio. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Dock. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.